Hello and welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Great to have you along with us. Got a lot of ground to cover today, so we're just going to hit the ground running. This week started with Trinity Sunday, and so we're going to look at the readings from the extraordinary form of the Mass for Trinity Sunday, beginning with the Epistle, which is from Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How incomprehensible are his judgments! How unsearchable his ways! For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and recompense shall be made him? For of him and by him and in him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, uh, In context, the object of St. Paul's admiration in this passage is the profound and mysterious wisdom and love of God, by which God permitted both the Jews and the Gentiles to fall into unbelief so that he might have mercy on us all alike. And so uh, we can understand that we are justified not through our own merits, but only through the grace of God. But on this particular Sunday, the Church employs what is called the accommodated sense of Scripture, which is to say, uh, you know, it's like when they uh, attribute uh, um, the writings of Judith, when they use those, uh, for example, for Feast of the Blessed Virgin. They accommodate the the sense of Scripture for the edification of the faithful. So here they accommodate these words of St. Paul in order to express Um, the great wonder and appreciation that the Church has for the mystery of the Holy Trinity. Because even though we can't fully comprehend um, this profound mystery, at the same time we can appreciate that it's not irrational to believe in it. In fact, no rational person would hesitate to believe in the doctrine of the Holy Trinity if only they take time to consider its source. See, God being infinite uh, cannot be fully comprehended by the finite human intellect. That much seems obvious. And therefore, it follows that God can reveal more than we can understand. In fact, there there are many things in nature and even in the human person that we do not understand and yet acknowledge as true. So uh, when when it comes to having faith in uh, any supernatural mystery, it's not our intellectual apprehension of the mystery that constitutes the formal motive of faith but rather our trust in the person who is revealing it, namely God, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. So in the here and now, we, we can only perceive God's image uh, dimly, you know, reflected in the, in the mirror of nature. But our Catholic faith assures us that we will one day behold him as he is. And in the meantime, we have the comfort and the, the consolation uh, regarding this great mystery, simply by adding the virtue of hope to the virtue of faith and saying to God, I believe all the truths that the Holy Catholic Church believes and teaches because you have revealed them. And now the Holy Gospel for Trinity Sunday, which is taken from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Going, therefore, teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. 
Now, naturally, this gospel is appropriate for Trinity Sunday, because here we have, uh, you know, from the mouth of our Savior uh, himself, um, uh, enumerating the three persons of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But there's something else to consider, and more than one thing. First, um, the threefold office of the apostles and their successors. See, when our Lord left this world, he handed over to his apostles uh, first the office, that is to say the right and duty, of teaching the Christian faith. Go teach ye all nations. And also the priestly office, or the right and duty of sanctifying the souls of men by means of the sacraments. He says, he doesn't just say go and teach, he says go and baptize. Also, um, the pastoral office, which is the right and duty of guiding and maintaining the faithful in the observance of the commandments. Teach them, he says, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And our Lord didn't commit this threefold office to the apostles only, but also to their successors. Uh, And that's plainly inferred by the words, go and teach all nations, and I am with you all days, even unto the end of the world. Because the 11 apostles, you know, by themselves could not have taught all nations, nor were they to live to the end of the world. Um, But their office will live. You know, it carries on after their death uh, and in their successors, who are the bishops of the church. Hence, you have the prophetic, priestly, and kingly offices of Christ, which must continue in the church until the end of time. Further, this power that's been given to the church to teach, govern, and sanctify is divine. And therefore, it is not subject to any civil or earthly power which means that within her own sphere, the Catholic Church is both supreme and independent. Secondly, the Church of Christ must be Catholic or universal, because our Lord said that all nations were to be received by the Church, or into the Church by baptism, and instructed by her in the Christian life. So the Church of Christ must therefore be uh, universal or Catholic in place, so not a local church, not a national church, but a universal or Catholic church. And also, since Jesus promised to be with that church all days, even under the consummation of the world, the church must be equally Catholic or universal as to her duration. And so being upheld by our Lord in this way uh, throughout all ages, there's no time when she could ever completely decline or, or fall away. Because if she did, our Lord would not be fulfilling his promise to be with her always. And this is significant because virtually all um, non-Catholic Christian communities are based on the false premise that somewhere along the line the church dropped the ball. The church um, fell irretrievably into error or corruption. But according to Christ's clear promise, that can never be. The church can neither teach nor believe false or corrupt doctrine. I'm going to say that again because this is important. The church cannot teach or believe false or corrupt doctrine. Now understand, this doesn't apply to individual Catholics, be they um, layperson, clergy, or even the Pope. You know, it's well to remember that it was Christ himself who warned us about the weeds among the wheat and and false shepherds and and, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. But the, the infallible... Um, authority of the church applies to the perennial magisterium 
of the church, that which has, like St. Vincent of Lorenz said, that which has been held always and everywhere by everyone. And, and this is a fundamental Christian dogma that is inseparably connected to the divinity of Christ, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church precisely because it is his church, his bride, his body. Which brings us to the topic that we're going to be exploring today, which is evangelization. The word comes from the Greek word evangelion, which means gospel or good news. And what is the evangel? What is the the good news? Well, we can put it in a nutshell and say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him may not perish, but may have everlasting life. Hence the guy with the rainbow wig at the sports events holding up the John 3.16 sign. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. You'll note that um, Jesus says, I am the way. Not a way, not one way among many, not even the preferred way the only way, and hence what we call the Great Commission. Go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This is why the apostles and their successors had been missionary, always carrying the good news to the four corners of the world to share it with those who have never heard the gospel. Uh, Because in the words of St. Cyprian of Carthage, Extra ecclesium nulla salus. Outside the church, there is no salvation. And because all the baptized share in this priestly and prophetic and kingly office of Christ, we all of us have a role to play in evangelization. Hence the teaching of Pope St. John Paul II. He said, lay people must be strong enough and sufficiently catechized to testify how the Christian faith constitutes the only valid response to the problems and hopes that life poses to every person and society. So not, once again, not a response, but the only valid response to the problems and hopes of life, and not just for individuals, but for societies, for all nations, as our Lord would have it. And right now, uh, for the first time in history, The majority of Americans, the majority of the citizens of this country do not identify with any particular church or any particular religion. Catholics are um, still the largest religious body in the country, but if ex-Catholic was a denomination, it would be the second largest. And these ex-Catholics, these these men and women who leave the church, they leave, many of them for for other Christian communities, you know, uh, non-Catholic Christian communities, some few for non-Catholic religions, and increasingly, as we just mentioned, for no religion at all. Which is why, back in 1990, St. John Paul II called for a new evangelization. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, buckle up. There's a lot of information that we're going to share, a lot to cover. We're going to talk about what it really means that there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church, why indifference is not an option, and why we all need to evangelize. That and more when we come back.
back. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Uh, the confusion stops here. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. We're talking today about evangelization. Back in 1990, in his encyclical Redemptoris Missio, St. John Paul II pointed out that we, uh, while we must continue to carry the good news to unbelievers, that we must also reach out to our separated brethren, which is to say non-Catholic Christians, and to fallen away Catholics. Right? The, the Roman Catholic Church is called the Church of Salvation, <clears throat> pardon me, and the universal sacrament of salvation, because she alone received from Christ, who is the sole Redeemer, the mission and the means to bring people to salvation. Mm. Pardon me, got a little frog in my throat. Um, hence the axiom, extra ecclesium nullisalis, outside the church there is no salvation, coined by St. Cyprian of Carthage back in the 3rd century. But this, this axiom needs to be properly understood, uh, because it seems simple enough, but the, the church has stressed the importance of understanding just what that means. Back in 1949, under Pope Pius XII, Rome issued an official clarification which stated that the axiom is not to be taken in its strictly literal sense. Actually, in the, in the I think it was 2002 or 2000, uh, which is uh, the 21st century, um, the CDF under Cardinal Ratzinger put out um, Dominus Jesus that also talks about this uh, axiom, no salvation outside the church. And then Pope Pius XII in the, in the 20th century, and then Pius IX uh, in the 19th century, and Clement XI back in the 18th century. So all the way back to the 1700s, they've been talking about uh, the, the proper way to understand this. Now, what the church teaches is that uh, just as in the Old Testament, there was only uh, uh, one ark of deliverance from the great flood, right? Noah's ark, uh, one uh, ark of deliverance from bodily death. So in the New Testament, there is only one ark of salvation. Yes, the bark of Peter, uh, namely the Catholic Church. Christ said in Matthew eighteen seventeen, if a man will not hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen or a publican. Right, an outsider, anathema, cut off. It is, however, possible to be outside the church through no fault of your own. And if such persons do God's will as they know it, they can be presumed to be in his grace and belong to the church inwardly, though not outwardly, belonging, as it were, to the soul of the church. And therefore, they can be saved. But that does not mean they will be saved or they must be saved only that, uh, that God didn't create people in order to damn them because they never heard the gospel. You see, that's, you know, uh, uh, Vatican II put it like this. It, it says, those also can attain to salvation who, through no fault of their own, do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, yet sincerely seek God and moved by grace, right? So this is with God's help. You can't do it without Jesus. Strive by their deeds to do his will as it is known to them by the dictates of conscience. Nor does divine providence deny the helps necessary to salvation to those who, without blame on their part, okay, so we do have a responsibility here, those who, without blame on their part, have not yet arrived at a specific knowledge of God and with his grace strive to live a good life. See, this is, this is a description of what's called invincible ignorance, uh, that is, having never heard the gospel and the baptism of desire, which presumes that people of good will would desire baptism should they, you know, if they knew about it, if they knew it was necessary. 
And But the thing is, whether or not people like this uh, can or will be saved, that is a matter for God alone, because God alone sees what's in the human heart. You know, Vatican II, though, goes on to point out that, um, you know, concerning non-Catholic Christians, that they have uh, many of the means of salvation available to them outside the visible confines of the church. First and foremost, they have valid baptism. They also have the Bible and, and prayer. And I suspect that you know, as I do, uh, some non-Catholics who are probably more pious, more zealous for the gospel than many of the Catholics that you know. You know, but, but ignorance isn't some kind of eighth sacrament. The fact remains that our separated brethren are deprived of many of the channels of grace found only in the true church. So, for example, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, uh, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the sacramental absolution of sins committed after baptism, the communion of saints, just to name a few. And just because salvation may be possible for those outside the visible confines of the church under a bunch of specific circumstances, that hardly makes it certain or even probable that they will be saved. In fact, just the opposite. And that's why the new evangelization is not only directed at unbelievers, but also to our separated brethren and to the fallen away uh, Catholic. Because although Christians might have faith in Christ, our separated brethren, they deserve to hear about the one true church founded on St. Peter. And that can apply to um, Catholics that fall away as well. Um, Oftentimes in my, you know, uh, apostolate over the last 20, 25 years, whatever it's been, I talk to people who will say, oh, you know, don't, don't talk to me about the Catholic church. I survived 12 years of Catholic school or I was raised Catholic, right? These are ways to say as though, you know, I've, I've, know all about it and I've rejected it. And, you know, I, I always ask an open question along the lines of, oh, can you, you know all about Catholicism, can you name the Ten Commandments? Can you name all seven sacraments? And when they can't, which is typical, then you say, well, maybe you rejected this as a child and you haven't really rejected the church, but some childish understanding. You don't really know. And, and it's true that so many of uh, Catholics have been catechized and, you know, over the last 40, 50, 60 years, probably not very well catechized. They've been sacramentalized, right? They've been put through the mill of, of uh, the sacraments of initiation, but they haven't been evangelized. And that's why so many of them, uh, you know, are so moved by, you know, the, the evangelization of uh, our separated brethren. But the fact remains that the Catholic Church has the fullness of salvation, grace and truth, and is therefore God's will for all people. And the purpose of evangelizing other Christians is to bring about the union of Holy Mother Church, which gives access to the fullness of salvation and truth, and the sacraments, you know, beyond baptism. Now, touching on the question of outside the church, no salvation, Vatican II puts it very clearly, and by the way, all these quotes are coming from the Constitution on the Church, Basing itself upon sacred scripture and tradition, the council teaches that the church is necessary for salvation. There it is. Even for the the person who comes through, through some extraordinary means, if you get saved, if you go to heaven, it is because of the, the graces won on the Holy Cross by our Lord Jesus Christ, because nobody comes to the Father except through him. Church is necessary for salvation because it is the church that communicates the grace of the sacraments to the world. 
Uh, Vatican II says, in explicit terms, <clears throat> pardon me, he himself affirmed the necessity of faith and baptism and thereby affirmed also the necessity of the church. For through baptism, as through a door, people enter the church. That's what baptism's about, becoming a member of the church, part of the body of Christ. Whosoever, therefore, knowing that the Catholic Church was made necessary by Christ, would refuse to enter it or to remain in it, could not be saved. In black and white, Vatican II. Refuse to enter the church or remain in it. See, that's our separated brethren and fallen away Catholics. And let's face it, it's hard enough uh, for those of us in the church. In fact, again, according to, to Vatican II, quote, those also are not saved. Those also are not saved who, although part of the body of Christ, do not persevere in charity. They remain indeed in the bosom of the church, but as it were only in a bodily matter and not in their heart. All the church's children should remember that their exalted status is to be attributed not to their own merits, but to the special grace of Christ. If they fail, moreover, to respond to that grace in thought, word, and deed, not only will they not be saved, but they will be the more severely judged. Now, it's no wonder that St. Paul said you work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But in light of the clear teaching of Vatican II, Okay, and obviously this, is, this has been the teaching of the Church always. But it is, in fact, you know, right in black and white in, in the documents of Vatican II. I cannot understand how any Catholic, especially a priest or bishop, can promote religious indifferentism. The idea of universal salvation. Oh yeah, oh, everybody's going to heaven. See, right here when, when Vatican II spells out the people who will not be saved. You know, you can't say it isn't the teaching of the church. Um, and, and in the next segment, we're going to talk about um, how to talk to our separated brethren um, regarding their incomplete ideas about salvation. But, but first, how do you go about participating in the new evangelization in general? And the first thing I'll say is that um, in order to effectively evangelize, you have to build relationships. And that means exercising the virtues of patience and prudence. But having said that, I think there are a lot of Catholics who make the mistakes of, of just procrastinating. They sort of put off that evangelization thing indefinitely. <clears throat> or those that think all they have to do is set a good example, right? Like um, um, that old saying that's actually falsely attributed to Francis of Assisi, to preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. I can tell you that uh, St. Francis used words quite a bit, and he was a, a very crystal clear kind of evangelizer. And good example is important, okay? But, but action is required, and dialogue is always part of the process. If you're going to evangelize, you have to talk to people about God, about the faith. And it's also essential to believe what you're saying, you can't give what you don't have. You know, you have, to, you have to live by the faith that you believe, and you have to be sincerely interested in the spiritual well-being of those who you're evangelizing. It's got to be about them and, what's, you know, and their good. This is true love, to will the good of the other. And eternal salvation is the greatest good. So when people sense that you are truly interested in, in, in their personal benefit, they're more open to listening to what you have to say. Uh, as somebody once said, 
Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that really is true. And that's why it is, it's excellent to begin evangelization, you might almost call it uh, pre-evangelization, by asking open-ended questions. Uh, like, you know, what do you think about religion? What kind of faith were you raised in? You know, as opposed to that very confrontational, if you die tonight, do you know where you'll spend eternity? You know, or the ever-popular, are you saved? Right? Uh, instead, ask sincere questions. Be interested and really listen. Because I can tell you, I have learned, uh, just (laughs) by virtue of being 60 years old, I mean, I I had to study psychology uh, for my uh, certificate in in Christian counseling. But uh, for a lot of people, the opposite of talking is not listening. It's just waiting to talk again. And so for evangelization, you have to really listen and engage in genuine conversation. And that's going to provide you the opportunity to give a witness, an effective witness to Christ and his church. Okay, lots more when we come back. You're listening to No Nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're talking about the new evangelization. What's new about it? Well, it's all about not just uh, missionary work to the unbeliever, but to re-evangelize Christendom, to reach out to our separated brethren and to the fallen away. I've been talking about a a little about what's necessary for for evangelization, and I think uh, an important point, uh, and one that's not made enough, is that um, it's crucial to successful evangelization, that you be in a state of grace. Uh, Because when you're in a state of grace, the Holy Spirit dwells in your soul, and the Holy Spirit is the principal evangelizer. And so it's, it's absolutely essential to be free from mortal sin in order to evangelize, because it's the Holy Spirit who's uh, uh, doing the primary work. You and I, we're just participating in the work of God. We're assisting the Spirit of God. And I would hope that you would find that both both comforting and empowering. I, I remember uh, years ago meeting a, a gal at a conference. I was there with Jess and uh, Tim Staples, and afterwards she came to me, and she was very distraught, talking about how you know she's done so much to try and evangelize the people in her life and doesn't seem like she's getting anywhere. And I told her, I said, you have to let yourself off the hook. You know, you're doing everything that, that uh, you should be doing, but it's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts and minds. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to answer questions and to share your faith. And if you're doing that, be content. Um, you see, the goal of evangelization for a Catholic is to introduce others not just to a relationship with Christ. And, um, you know, sometimes that, that's even for those who already know Christ, uh, who are already in the church, but also for those who are not in the church, to uh, enter into his body. The Holy Spirit always leads people to Christ and his church. Okay, it's not one or the other, it's always both. And, uh, you know, Catholic evangelization includes helping others to enter into full communion of the church, not just sharing Christ, but uh, also his body. Because it's there that they have access to the words of truth and to the grace of the sacraments, the sacramental life, which is essential to our salvation. You know, so to put it another way, it, it's Catholic evangelization is concerned with more 
than simply helping people to believe in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Okay, it takes a, the wider approach of considering the fullness of salvation and grace and truth uh, that comes to us through the church. Now, our non-Catholic uh, separated brethren um, evangelize differently because they either reject or, or misunderstand uh, the church. So, and they, you know, for them, evangelization has a formula, right? It's admit you're a sinner, repent and be willing to turn away from your sins, believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, and then receive Christ by personally inviting him into your heart and your life. Because the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. John 1, 12. Now, sometimes this process is illustrated by uh, several verses from the book of Romans, and it is referred to as the Romans Road. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 5.8 says that Jesus died for our sins. And Romans 10.8-10 says to be forgiven of our sins, we must believe and confess that Jesus is Lord because salvation comes through Jesus. Uh, and then as a kicker, they will typically add that Romans 3.28 says, we consider that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, and they conclude that we're saved by faith alone, which is another topic for another time. But the point is that for them to be saved, one need only make a simple act of faith, the, the sinner's prayer, so-called. So to many Christians, that is evangelization, because once you've invited Jesus into your heart, you're saved, right? Done deal. Uh, and And the next step is to follow it up by uh, taking a stand for Jesus, tell somebody about the decision you've made, uh, study the Bible, pray, and, and of course, identify with the church. Why? If you're already saved. Well, for the purpose of worship and fellowship, uh, ongoing instruction, service, okay? But not salvation, because you're already saved. Which is why so many non-Catholic Christians, I think especially evangelicals, are church hoppers. You know, they, they go from one to another to another to another, just looking for what they like, for the, for the one that they prefer. Because it doesn't really matter, in their opinion, what church you go to. But there's, of course, there are deficiencies here. For one thing, John 1.12 um, is not, you know, in context, it's not about receiving Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, it's about the divine regeneration that takes place in baptism, which is what makes us the adopted children of God. The church isn't some kind of follow-up to evangelization. It's not some sort of afterthought. You know, it, it, it's some, not something you can take or leave. It is necessary for salvation. But you can see now you know, why it is that our separated brethren find it so strange that we insist that the Catholic Church is the one true church of Jesus Christ. Because they believe the church is just a kind of a spiritual union of all the true Christian believers, regardless of whatever denomination they're in. And of course, as we've seen, uh, it, it is true at the most basic level, Christians that have been validly baptized are united because everyone who receives valid baptism technically belongs, however imperfectly, to the Catholic Church. And Catholics pray and hope for the day when all those divisions will be overcome and our separate brethren will enter into the fullness of truth. That is the point of the new evangelization. But in the present reality, I mean, we have to insist that the one true Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church alone, and for a number of good reasons. 
And we've gone over the subsistent argument before. I'm not going to talk about that now. But first, the Catholic Church is the only Christian church that goes all the way back in history to the time of Christ. And you can look it up in the Encyclopedia Britannica and discover that the Catholic Church was founded by Jesus Christ in Jerusalem in 33 AD. Number two, the fathers of the church, all the, all the Christian writers of the first centuries, all professed to belong to that same Catholic church. And like the Encyclopedia Britannica, the writings of the early fathers are readily available, even for free online. And, and the fathers know nothing of this modern idea of me and Jesus Christianity. The followers of Jesus were first called Nazareans because Jesus was from Nazareth. Around 35 AD, the term Christians was coined because the apostles claimed to, that Jesus was the Christ. Bible says it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. That's Acts 11.26. But you'll note that it doesn't say that they called themselves Christians. St. Ignatius of Antioch, who is a church father of the first century, wrote, and I quote, Where the bishop is, there let the multitude of believers be. Even as where Jesus is, there is the Catholic Church. Now, Ignatius wrote those words circa 98 to 110 AD. And in context, he clearly expects his readers to understand what he's talking about. In fact, he is appealing to their knowledge of the Catholic Church to make his point. So the term Catholic Church uh, can't be novel. It can't be new. It you know, must be older than this writing. But where did that term originate? Well, in fact, it comes from the Bible. You know, most people know that the word Catholic as an adjective means universal. It comes from the Greek kathalau. But in the book of Acts, we read, and I quote, this is Acts 9.31, The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. It was being built up and walked in fear of the Lord, and with the consolation of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. Okay? So you notice, uh, first off, that the scripture refers to the church in the singular. The church not the churches. It was being built up, not they were being built up. It was growing in number. So to the point, the original um, Koine Greek, the expression, the church throughout all, is ekklesia kathalos. And that is where the term Catholic Church comes from. Ekklesia kathalos, Catholic Church. It means the, the universal church, the church throughout all. So, you know, throughout all the world. So somebody asked, where's the Catholic Church in the Bible? Well, now you know. It's Acts 9.31. It's also well known that, that many Christian denominations uh, um, disagree about what Christ actually taught, and on some important matters. They just take baptism, you know, uh, which the Bible tells us is uh, the necessary first step to salvation, and, by the way, entrance into the church. But one denomination holds that baptism must be by immersion only. And another uh, says that, that uh, you know, they approve baptism by sprinkling. Others would say that water and baptism isn't necessary at all. All you have to do is invite Jesus into your heart. So you can see that it does make a difference which church you belong to. And it was for this reason, I think, that Jesus made it plain that there should not be many churches or many denominations. Because he said there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And he said if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And then St. Paul takes up the theme when he says, <clears throat> strive to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
one body and one spirit, as you were also called, to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Catholics can't believe that Christ would ever sanction divisions in his church. The night before he suffered and died, he prayed for his followers that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the fact that that non-Catholic Christians are divided into tens of thousands of rival denominations isn't the unity that Jesus prayed for. It's the scandal of Christendom. And if Jesus, who is God the Son, second person of the Blessed Trinity, only founded one church, then it follows that all the rest of them were founded by mere men. And although they believe much that is true and have many members who sincerely love the Lord and have many means of salvation, the only true church is the one founded by our Savior. And that is the one that he promised to be with until the end of time. So evangelization comes from the church and leads to the church. And if we think we're evangelizing and we never mention the importance of full communion with the Catholic Church, then we are not evangelizing in a complete or correct, or Catholic way. In other words, Catholics can't take the me and Jesus approach. Catholic evangelization is ecclesial, takes place within the church, oriented toward having others receive the sacraments of the church. And good evangelization articulates the belief of the church and not personal opinions. Hey, more on this when we come back uh, right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio with today's No-Nonsense Catholic. All right, we've been talking about the new evangelization, which is about um, not just evangelizing those who have never heard uh, the gospel, but also essentially re-evangelizing Christendom, evangelizing the baptized, our separated brethren and fallen away Catholics, um, which uh, <clears throat> gives us a very large mission field in this country. Um, and I was talking about, uh, before the break, evangelization needs to articulate the beliefs of the church. And so to effectively evangelize, it's necessary to be able to accurately explain your faith, at least on a basic level. And, you know, as we discussed already, it is a sacred duty for Catholics to evangelize, whatever their state in life. So clearly you don't have to be a a theologian or a biblical scholar And you shouldn't think that you're required to evangelize perfectly, as I said before, changing hearts and minds. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But it is necessary to be able to articulate your love for Christ and the essentials of entering into a relationship with him and the importance of the church that he established. And to that end, um, I have a website, nonsensecatholic.com, all one word, nonsensecatholic.com. And if you go there, you can click on the library, and I have a, a nice overview of the Catholic faith. It also links to the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, so you can get a good grasp of the Catholic faith uh, in, a, in a very concise format. Also, if you click on videos, uh, it'll take you to my no-nonsense YouTube channel, to the playlists, and there is a uh, Catholic apologetic playlist where, once again, <clears throat> I have a series of videos that give very concise answers to the kind of common objections 
to the Catholic faith. So those are a couple of good resources that I've put together for you for free. Also, uh, there's a couple of books I would recommend. Our fearless leader here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Terry Barber, uh, wrote the book, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone, which you can get from Ignatius Press. And, uh, you know, Terry says he literally wrote the book on evangelization, and I can say I actually wrote the introduction to the book on evangelization. So I recommend that to you. Also, there's a forward to that book that was written by Scott Hahn, who has put out a book a few years ago called Evangelizing Catholics. And he loves that, uh, you know, uh, double meaning. It's about Catholics who evangelize, who are evangelizing Catholics, and it also talking about evangelizing Catholics, because we're talking about reaching out to uh, the fallen away and evangelizing the baptized. And so the subtitle is A Mission Manual for the New Evangelization. And this is good. And it also has a nice overview of the essentials of the faith that you can share. All right. Catholic evangelization utilizes both faith and reason. Uh, And because people are, you know, people are impacted in different ways. And some people really need that more intellectual approach. Some people more emotionally based approach. And it's most, you know, it's important for us to be able to, to utilize both. And the first practical step we discussed was to build relationships. And that doesn't mean procrastinating and, and delaying the process unnecessarily, because it is possible to build a, a relationship on a basic level in a relatively short period of time. In any case, if there isn't some kind of relationship present, then evangelization isn't, uh, you know, it's only rarely fruitful. We talked about using the conversational approach, especially in the, what I would call the pre-evangelization stage. It's helpful to ask open-ended questions uh, to get the conversation started. You know, what do you think about God? What kind of faith do you practice? And of course, the Catholic evangelist entrusts his efforts to the Holy Spirit, who is the principal evangelizer. Crucial to understand that as an evangelist, you and I are simply taking part in God's work. And then everything we've discussed here, of course, is aimed at that twofold goal of evangelization. You know, there are a lot of people in the church that don't feel like they have a, a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ. And so they need to be evangelized. I think it was what Amy Wellborn who wrote that book a few years ago called Making Intentional Disciples. And she was prompted because of poll data that suggested that most Catholics, most Catholics, not only don't feel like they have a personal relationship with Christ, but they're not even uh, uh, convinced that it is possible to have a personal relationship with God. So there's evangelization needs to be done there. And then, of course, there's also that, uh, you know, we need to, to introduce people to that that intimate relation with Christ, but also, and especially for those who may have such a relationship, you have to foster entrance into full communion with the church that he established, because that is the source of, of graces. That's how they're communicated to the world. And so the new evangelization has several components. Uh, St. John Paul II in Redemptoris Missio talked about it as a re-evangelization of the baptized who have lost their faith. And he acknowledged the urgent need of the faithful to reach out to Catholics who have drifted away from the church and give witness to Christ, as well as the importance of fostering their return to communion. Okay? Uh, The new evangelization doesn't stop at fallen away Catholics. It's directed at all the baptized. 
uh, especially those who have never been effectively evangelized, who haven't made that commitment to Christ and the gospel, or to those who have been, you know, formed by secular culture, or who have lost their sense of faith, or those who have never known about the fullness of salvation offered by the church, to those who are alienated in some way from the faith or the church, and then, of course, to unbelievers as well. The new evangelization doesn't leave anybody out. It is directed to all people and to all nations. Uh, It is, according to the National Directory of Catechetics, the new evangelization is, quote, aimed at personal transformation through the development of a personal relationship with God, participation in sacramental worship, ongoing catechesis, and a deepening integration of faith into all areas of life. And that goes for you and me, too, as well as for those with whom we are sharing the faith. Uh, Its goal is, quote, both the interior change of individuals and the exterior change of societies. So if you're getting the impression that uh, the new evangelization is spiritually and culturally um, holistic, let's say, you're right. Another aspect uh, in the new evangelization is found in its use of all the tools of the age that can be placed at the disposal of giving witness to Christ and presenting the gospel. So we have the internet and we have the smartphone and texts and, and all of all of these means of communication. We should be using them for the greater glory of God and to, to you know foster this intimate relationship with Christ and his church. You know, it's not like it was a couple of centuries ago. We have a lot of options now. And on the other side of the coin, though, it must be remembered that as as important as media and social media and other technology, like this podcast you're listening to right now. Important as those things are, they cannot replace the personal encounter. You know, a personal encounter with another is really at the core of the process of evangelization. And okay, and much more could be said. But uh, again, quoting from the National Directory of Catechetics, the ministry of the word is a fundamental element of evangelization through all its stages because it involves the proclamation of Christ, who is the eternal word. Right? The process of the new evangelization, the process includes these elements. Proclaiming Christ as the only Savior and Redeemer. Bearing witness to Christ in one's life and the lives of others. Preaching the gospel, which is the life and teachings of Jesus and the good news of salvation. Teaching what it means to believe in and follow Christ as a disciple. Celebrating the sacraments of initiation. Okay, And you, get, you begin with this pre-evangelization, which builds... On, on human needs and, and builds relationship. And, and then you, you follow that up with uh, the initial proclamation of the gospel, right? which is like missionary preaching. Um, and then you can break that down into further stages, right? to those that are directed at non-believers, to those who are directed at those who uh, are agnostic or, or live in, in religious indifference, like oh, all religions are the same. I hope to talk about, uh, to talk with rather, Eric Sammons in the next few weeks, who's just written a book called Deadly Indifference. It is about the danger of religious indifferentism. All right. So we give that also the uh, proclamation of the gospel and, and catechize those who choose the gospel or need to complete or, or modify their initiation. That's a lot of the people that come to my RCIA classes every year are Catholics who were. Uh, uh, you know, received the first Holy Communion, were raised in the faith in some way, but never were confirmed, 
or maybe haven't uh, haven't been to confession since their first confession. Okay, so they need the they need the rest of the uh, you know the fullness they need to make. Maybe they've been baptized but never made their first communion even, or their confirmation. And and so we also want to reach out to those who have a mature faith. Iron sharpens iron, as the as the uh, Book of Proverbs says. So the new evangelization, what we're trying to do is to re-engage the ancient mission of the church, which is to proclaim Christ as the resurrected Savior and Redeemer of the entire world. Right, All of us has been redeemed, but we're not all going to be saved unless we participate in that life of grace. And just like back in the first century, many people of our times don't know who Christ is. And, and many others have heard of him, but chosen not to believe in him. And others have lost their sense of faith. And so this mission of evangelization really is urgent because ultimately it is the mission of salvation in Christ. To love your neighbor. In the theological sense of the word love, to love your neighbor means to will for him the good. And eternal salvation is the highest good. You cannot will a higher good to anyone. And I know that sometimes people don't like to evangelize because it feels confrontational or it makes them uncomfortable. Well, those are things that you can get past. But the fact of the matter is, the most merciful and loving thing that you can do is share your love of Christ and his church. And evangelization brings Christ into the world and then it integrates the world into the life and the teaching of Christ. And in that way, by evangelizing to individuals, we change our culture. And we do it the same way they did it in the first century, one convert at a time. All right. Hey, so great to have been with you today. We're going to be back next week. I think we may take up the theme of uh, agnosticism and religious indifference. Maybe talk about um, the first commandment, but more importantly, the sins against the first commandment that we can hopefully help the people in our lives overcome. All right. I also want to say thank you to everybody that's been supporting this apostolate through your prayers, which we covet. Uh, We absolutely need your prayers. And also your financial support. You can go to VMPR. That's Virgin Most Powerful Radio, vmpr.org. And there's a donate button right on the uh, front page. You can find out all about it, how to be uh, make a one-time donation and become a monthly donor. We really do appreciate... uh, both your spiritual and your financial support. And without you, there's no us. Uh, and so thanks once again. And until next time, I want to invite you to keep listening, download the app, and until we meet again, may God richly bless you and your family.